and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard, and I have alongside me, as always, my friend, my co-host, Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, I'm a little out of breath. I was rushing to get here. The uh, had had some lobster down at the wharf and uh, just lingered a little bit and had to had to hurry home to get back to podcasting on time. Parker is summering at Martha's Vineyard right now. Actually, it's uh, it's a very nice time up there. Uh, just just the most pretentious. He's eaten lobster and sent me pictures of lobster. I think three times in the last week. I mean, it's it's all they have up here. Like I don't even I don't even like lobster. It's just if you go out to eat, you can't you just can't order anything else. So. Uh, you know, uh, fun, fun fact for you history buffs out there, lobster used to be served to prisoners because it was very cheap and people thought it was gross. And now you can buy it for $30. Uh, there was a lobster tail in my grocery store yesterday, or this Sunday, $41 for a lobster tail. You just walk into the ocean and pick it out with your hands, okay. right? Yeah, I did. I ate it raw. I, f- I figured that's what real men did. Uh, <laughs> do you know, okay, I don't I don't eat Texas seafood. Can I tell you about this? This is going to give me some flack with the viewers because we have it. We have uh, it's going to get flack from me. Okay, but go ahead. Do you know? Do you know about Isaac's storm? If I say that, do you yeah, know of course, the nineteen hundred Galveston hurricane. Okay, so I read a book on that in like the fifth grade. My dad, Eric Larson, weather. Is it Eric Larson? Honestly, I've never gone back to it. It might be it's Eric, Eric Larson. Larson. Yeah. Okay, read that book. Um, my dad's a huge weather nerd. We, we were like, oh my gosh, this is a crazy storm. And one sentence in that book stuck with me all these years. And it talked about how the people of Galveston didn't eat seafood for years because they lost so many bodies. And they figured they were all swept out to sea. And so like shrimp and fish were just eating dead bodies. And then you went and catch the shrimp and you're just, you're just one, one step away from eating people. And, uh, and I just, I just, that just stuck with me and kind of, kind of ruined me on Texas seafood forever. Like thinking about the shrimp, just eating all the bodies that got washed away in this big sea swell. And so I don't eat Texas seafood. Well, that is disappointing. Okay. I'm going to tell you a quick anecdote because you do have a fantastic interview you want to get to. I know you want to plug something. And we also can talk about TCU baseball, but 30 second anecdote. I was on a cookoff for the great steak cookoff for the boys and girls club of Bay city, Texas. My team won first place appetizers with our bacon wrap Gulf shrimp, baby. Delicious. Nice. Absolutely fantastic. Nice. And then we finished last in the steak division, 16 wow. out of 16. <laughs> but so you, fun. you take the good with the bad. We, yes, we had uh, fun. Um, I'll, I'll I have say, a transition. I'm, I'm here. hopping in here. I don't care. Go this ahead. interview is an hour, 20 minutes long, probably, but we're, we're just popping through this. Go with it. But we'll see. Uh, the, the, best, the best first date a man can do is he can go get good scallops from the, uh, yes. from the grocery store. They are easy to screw up, but they're easy to not screw up. And uh, yep. you, you cook a girl scallops and you are coming across as fancy as hell. Uh, it, is, it is just super easy. You just slap them on one side, let them, let them get tough, and then slap them on the other side real quick and then serve them. And you will look fancy as heck. So that's, a, that's the official off-season first date advice is uh, invite a girl over, bottle of wine, some scallops, maybe some asparagus with lemon, maybe some couscous. That's on, that's on you. Get, 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 get crazy. But scallops, so easy, so fancy. Risotto as well works great with that. Risotto, also, if any ladies option. would like to invite, if any ladies would invite, would like to invite me over for scallops, I, I also love scallops. Um, okay, let's talk about actual sports. Before we hop into football, are you implying Parker, that scallop cooking is not a real sport? We'll talk about that later. Everything is sports. Um, <laughs> Parker, TCU baseball, very good. People don't like to talk about it. Yeah, but you're many, hearing it more and more by the hate. Many people are saying that TCU baseball is very good. Um, I don't. I don't know. I feel like there was this narrative at the beginning of the season about like the bats need to wake up, but they, they're what? They're like twenty. They're like thirty-two and ten right now. And thirty-four think, and twelve. Yep. 
That's close. That was like uh, that was yeah. close. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah. And I think of when when I looked at this, they had ten losses. I think of their losses, in seven of them, they had scored at least four runs. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's three. Maybe at least three runs. Like the dudes can hit the ball, and it just bullpens are hard over the course of a college baseball yeah. season. And everybody's healthy. I know they had some issues with like their weekend lineup or something. Uh, but man, you look, you you don't get swept by Texas, which you just knew coming in like, Hey, it's going to be the big 12 championship on the line. All you got to do is not get swept. They have K state this weekend, I think. And Next weekend, they have a random three game series against uh, Louisiana Monroe. That's fine. Everybody, everybody chilling. What's up, Terry Bowden. Um, and so, uh, and so next weekend against Kansas state, all you got to do is just hold serve there. You win the big 12, you get the first seed, you go to the brickyard, have a good showing. You're, you're, you're basically guaranteed to host a regional and TCU really controls its own destiny, which is, uh, you know, really, really fun, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if TCU wins the Big 12 outright in the regular season, makes it to the conference semifinals, it probably would depend on what Texas does in, in the Big 12 tournament, but they're in line for a super regional. I think if they just kind of, hey, don't completely collapse in the Big 12 tournament. Um, I, I missed TCU baseball being very good. Um, it's super fun. Also, fire name alert, Hunter Wolf. Incredible name. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. I'm just awesome. throwing that out there uh, for, for, for the people. Um, this concludes our baseball analytics. Parker, speaking of real analytics, you've been working your butt off, bud. I have. Well, not the last week. The last week I've been drinking enough beer to make up for the last six weeks or whatever. But sure. The website's live. I don't know that it's good. I don't know that it's done. I think I'm going to make another push this weekend and, and, and change some things. But CFB Graph's got a big old makeover. And I'm not talking like stats nerd makeover. I'm talking like my wife is maybe the best graphic designer in Texas. Uh, the, 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 and the stats wife gave it a look over and said, hey, here we got a logo. We got here's your fonts. Here's your letter spacing. Here's your header size. Um, and so the, the cool thing about this is if, if you're a fan of the old CFB-graphs.com, you know, there's leaderboards and then there's like game pages. Mm-hmm. Well, now I have team profiles. So you go to the homepage, CFB-graphs.com. And not only do you see a cool leaderboard, you click on a team and you go and you see their schedule, their stats, their player stats. Um, and you can click on from that to their other, their opponents and kind of see things. And so just a really cool tool that I'm really excited to, um, share with everybody. And I think I will continue to, I mean, not, I think I'm going to be continuing to, to, um, update it kind of through the off season as I, I'm, I'm going to do projections for 2021 in, uh, in conjunction with the football outsiders almanac. And so there's some, some really good content that's going to come out. Um, the coolest thing for me selfishly grant is that I figured out how to like programmatically create my matchup graphics. And so I do not have to spend 15 to 20 hours a week creating matchup graphics for teams, which is really nice. And in fact, people will be able to go and create hypothetical matchups and say, Hey, I wonder if, uh, Minnesota played Fresno state on a Tuesday night. What would the, what would the, what would the stats predict? So, um, some really cool stuff there. Check it out at cfb-graphs.com. If you have, you know, questions or, or functionality that you'd like to see, uh, shoot me a DM at stats award. Cause again, this is a tool that I made for myself that I think other people benefit from. And so I want to make sure that other people are, um, benefiting, uh, from it as well. Uh, CFB-graphs.com, the only place where Kent State is ranked fifth in the nation. 
Hey man, that that offense. Don't don't sleep on. Look, Dustin Crumb's coming back, dude. Everybody wants to talk about Lance Leipold. Nobody wants nobody wants to talk about Sean Lewis. You love talking about Sean Lewis. I love no Sean one wants to talk about. You love him more than I. That love was my also mother. kind of a shout out to uh, Ronnie Coleman. I don't know if you know the bodybuilder Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman. His yeah, I do. Quote yes. is, Everybody want to be a bodybuilder. Ain't nobody want to lift no heavy ass weights. Um, so I'm going to There's transition. A, uh, I'm just smoothing. Into hold it. on. What? Go ahead. I, w- well, I was just going to transition and say, speaking of heavy ass weights, we we're going to talk about fake ass offenses with Seth here in a minute. But if you want to spoil <laughs> that, you go right ahead. Well, I was going to do a, 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 a purple theory tradition and use a country lyric, uh, which is the turnpike troubadours. They all want to be Hank Williams. They don't want to have to die. That is, uh, that is true, man. That is true. But I'm sorry I spoiled your joke. I'm not a very good improv partner. Yes, we're going to talk about fake-ass offenses with the one, the only, pro football focuses, Seth Galena. How you can find him was at PFF underscore Seth or at Seth underscore PFF. No, I was right at the first time. PFF underscore Seth, you were right the first time. And uh, we'll put yeah. all that in the show notes in case you are forgetful like I am. But uh, this is a good one. It's kind of long. We're getting nerdy a couple times. Uh, I'm okay with that. We've got some really good guests lined up coming up too. So uh, Seth is just another in, in a long line of what I hope is high quality content. Um, other than that, I don't think I have any news or updates. So let's let's hop into this interview. football focuses seth galena joins us on the purple theory podcast uh seth thanks for being here tonight how are you i am fantastic how are you guys doing doing uh doing great doing doing quite well um we're getting ready for football it feels like every i mean every day football is a little bit closer but it feels uh the excitement is building um how's your how's your off season going generally Uh, horrible i can't stop playing fifa and i can't (laughs) stop losing in fifa so this is these are the, this is the issues that are I'm like so frustrated. I was down four one earlier, right before we started recording. I came back to tie it four four in a soccer game. I know it's a video game, but in a soccer game, only for the, the my opponent to score to make it five four in the 89th minute. And that that's really how my week has gone. I'm losing more than I'm winning, and uh, it's keeping me up at night. So thanks for asking. <laughs> You're not a Tottenham fan, are you? Because I'm getting a lot of memories from this season uh, with that description. That sounds like Tottenham season. No, I'm a, I'm a Manchester United fan. Okay. Lucky you. <laughs> I watched Ted Lasso, so that's my knowledge of uh, soccer. And that's really all you that, – that's that's top-level stuff. That's so about it. The basics, yeah. yeah. Um, well, cool. So, so Seth, for um, our, our listeners who may not be familiar, um, who who are you? You work for Pro Football Focus. You're you're a senior college football analyst. What's your experience in football? How did you work at Pro Football Focus? And then, what's your what's your job at PFF? What do you kind of do and specialize in? Uh, so, I started. You know, I played high school football here in the uh, beautiful uh, Montreal, Quebec area, and uh, in Canada. And then I started coaching kind of, you know, I don't, I don't have the, uh, the size or, or the, <laughs> or maybe even the work ethic to play college football. So I stopped playing after high school and I started coaching football uh, first, my high school team. And then I, and then I got into college football, uh, you know, sometime in my twenties, did that for about 10 years um, in a few spots. And while I was doing that, obviously it's not a lot of anyone who's coach, coaches football who's listening to this right now knows there's not a lot of money in lower level college football or high school football. 
So, you know, on the side, I was obviously working a ton of jobs and uh, I started freelance writing about my LSU Tigers. And uh, yeah, it just led to more opportunities. I started writing about the Saints. So originally I'm from, uh, I was born in New Orleans. So I'm a, I'm a LSU and, and New Orleans Saints fan. And the writing just led to more opportunities. I did some stuff for like USA football. I did some stuff for bunch of other places and uh yeah eventually pff was like yo what's good like let's do this and i was like sure <laughs> like that sounds great so now i'm the uh my, my title is you know senior college football analyst but honestly um i, I both both have equal hands in in the nfl and college football so uh yeah that that's kind of my story just uh in football for for way too long and now clearly i'm trying to get up by playing soccer video games, it's not working out so well. <laughs> it's a it, it's it's a limited career path down that road, uh, from what I understand. Um, Seth, let me ask. So, so you seem to kind of marry with your experience in coaching, kind of marry film with the kind of statistical stuff that PFF likes to do. Is that kind of your approach? Just kind of hey, take these numbers and match them up to what you see on film. I mean, you mentioned watching snaps of every quarterback this offseason. How how does that work? Yeah, so like I'll, I mean, the reason I watch every quarterback is for our cultural preview guide. Uh, well, the first one came out last year, and then the, the second one, the 2021 version, is coming out uh, in two months, I guess it would be. Uh, so you know, my job is to write and analyze and, and and write about each quarterback in the in the Power Five. So that's the first step, and, and I think the way I go about figuring stuff out is really saying, let me watch the film. You know what? I it's there's two different avenues two different paths either either it's let me watch the film first um, if it's like an individual game or if I'm watching an individual quarterback you know let me watch the film first and then you know I'll see something that catches my eye that's interesting that I can go into our database and be like hey is this something that is actually happening uh, or am I seeing things right and I can I can play around with that or or there are times where the opposite happens where I'll start with just playing around in the database and saying, Hey, this team does this a lot, you know, and then I'll click on those snaps and watch those snaps and, and then try and see if there's something interesting there from, from that perspective. So like, you know, during the season, I would say it's more, you know, I'll, you know, if TCU plays, then I, you know, the, the Monday morning, I'm going to watch the film first. Like obviously I'll know the score. Maybe I'll have watched the game on, on, um, on, on ESPN or whatever. And then I'll, I'll just go and watch the game. And then, and then that'll tell me something. And I can at least be like, it doesn't have to be super in-depth. I could be like, hey, did they run the ball? I, I felt like they ran the ball pretty well. Let me go check. You know, I can go check the, you know, expected points added per play. I can go check their, um, you know, success rate and stuff like that. So I can just see it really quickly after I've watched the film. And then, uh, you know, I'd say also during the football week, you know, later in the week, I can get to games that I haven't watched either on Saturday or, you know, on the Monday, Tuesday, and I can just kind of filter them and just be like, hey, let me just watch the runs. Let me just watch the passes. Let me just, I, I don't even want to watch the, the, you know, I can take out all the screens if I'm trying to watch quarterback, you know, especially when I do this for the, for the college football guide, you know, I mean, I can't watch like 500 snaps for every power five quarterback. But what I can do is watch the important ones. So I can take out the screen passes because who, who cares? I can take out the, um, the RPOs. 
because that's like only somewhat relevant and I could just focus on the uh, the times where he, he kind of dropped back in the pocket and really that's how you really get an idea of how good a quarterback is you know when you when you kind of eliminate the flaw so that's kind of the, the ways I can watch film and kind of yeah. marry what what we do with our database and um, and and my knowledge of the game I guess yeah I'm just always fascinated as with all of our guests how you watch and analyze a game because I think everyone comes at it differently so yeah, I'm just curious Parker I know yeah. watches a game much differently than I do I'm, I'm sure everyone watches it and they're all seeing stuff. You know, I coach quarterbacks for such a long time. So this is why I, I, you know, I'm quarterback centric, but also like if I, if I need to go, I can, I, like I'll speed run. Maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but I'll speed run. You know, we get, we get obviously like the NFL in college, we get the, uh, the, the, the famous all 22 tape, the, 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 um, the coaches film. And, and, you know, I can, I can not watch the end zone copy if I need to just speed run a quarterback you know, then I can do that. So like you, you find when you do stuff like that, you definitely pick up on patterns, which I think is super important. So like, if you're just, if you, if you just go and you watch, um, I mean, you could do this with the broadcast film, you know, if you go on YouTube and someone's cut it up where they eliminate the, um, the, the, the time between snaps, you know, and like, a, you know, uh, you know, the blah, the, TCU at Baylor in under 25 minutes or whatever, those, those things on YouTube, man, you fit, you find patterns when you do that. So I'm trying to do that same thing, but obviously I have access to, um, to the coach's film. And, and, and again, I can just be like, Hey, let me see all the times the quarterback kept the ball on a run and I can see patterns that way. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm able to, I have, I have, I have uh, film and data privileges, which is very mm-hmm. nice. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm definitely living the life here uh, behind my computer screen. Yeah. And, and I'll just take that moment to say, because so much of what I want this podcast to be is like, Hey, here's ways that have helped me understand football better. I've started padding last season. I had never just sat down and drawn out a play. And even if it's just a couple plays or one drive, like that understanding is just a game changer in terms of, Oh, here's what everyone was trying to do. Here's what it broke. Like, I don't think I really understood TCU's run game until I padded a couple plays that didn't go well. And it was like, oh, this offensive line is an absolute mess. Like this is a disaster. And so stuff like that, I think is really, really cool. Just a a, a little bit of that film goes a really, really long way because you do pick up on the patterns pretty quickly, even though every play is is different um, overall. Um, Okay. I'll just say like the other other aspect of it is, and this is something that you do as a coach, you know, not everyone pads. So I padded a bit in my life, but mostly what I've done is I've, I, I don't know what else to call us, but I've charted on, you know, whatever, you know, I'm lucky enough to, to not have to have been, I'm not, I'm young enough that I never had to do like the whole like film splicing and, and doing all that stuff. So like I, I coached under a guy, he was my DC and he was a GA at North Dakota state in like the nineties, I believe. And they, he would drive to the airport to go pick up the film that was physically delivered by, you know, whoever, whether it's their next opponent or, or the team that played their next opponent or whatever it is. And then you bring it back to the office and you'd have to cut it up and like physically splice it together and figure out the cutups that you wanted, right? Like here's all the third down stuff. Here's all the second down stuff, whatever, whatever you want to do. So, you know, certainly been lucky that I got to use like programs like Huddle and some other programs that, that do that for you in terms of the, the film cutups. Um, but what I have had to do is chart. So it's like, hey, let me just go and 
put in every coverage that I see. So like, yeah, I'm not drawing it out, um, but just doing that play by play, that was cover three and that was cover one and that was this and that was what we call this and then all the run plays and, you know, like whatever, whatever it's your job is to chart, that is like unbelievably important. Again, because you're finding patterns, right? Um, just that's like the name of the game is finding, especially when you talk scheme uh, or even or even player evaluation, it's finding patterns. What do they do? What do they do right more often than they do wrong and stuff like that? So the padding is padding and charting. You want to learn football, like you like you said, Parker. I mean, that, that's how you do it. For the record, and idiots out there, padding is literally drawing out a play after you've seen it on a piece of graph paper, most likely. Which I, I can't draw, so it's not my style. Thank you, Grant. That's why we pay you the big bucks. <laughs> the, the the most interesting thing about padding is, and not just padding, but like also like drawing plays wherever whether it's on a piece of paper whether it's on a chalkboard a whiteboard is you look the the most interesting thing is looking at how each individual person draws their centers so like we it's x's and o's right so we we all know x's and o's and then you know sometimes people will put the actual like you know q for qb or h for halfback or whatever but for the offensive line it's always usually just circles but the center is a square to designate that you know he's the center he, that's where the ball is right that's where the middle the the, the middle of the formation is and you, you, there's some serial killers out there like if you if you, if someone in a coaching world committed a murder i don't know where i'm going with this if someone in the coaching world committed a murder you could go find who committed the murder by how their squares look um, like just go and find anyone drawing on a whiteboard and you will see the weirdest looking squares you will ever find in your their b's sometimes their c's they're weird. It's just very weird. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I hope no one ever looks at mine because then they'll find out that I am a serial killer. No. Well, I think it was, uh, th- we're just all over the place and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> Sean Slater in his NFL draft interview had to drop a play and his, his like line was so symmetrical. I was just very impressed. I think I went and looked to see if he was like an architecture major or something to be like, how did he, cause he just freehand on the whiteboard was like, yep, here's a perfect line of these squares and stuff. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Handwriting will take you. Well, I think you can tell a lot of a, of a future coach and where he's going in his life by how good his whiteboard penmanship is. Um, and this is why I'm, I'm not coaching anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, let's um, let let's zoom out a little bit from because I, I think that's really important, and I'm really glad for our, our, our listeners to kind of hear that. Um, I will not make you, Seth, kind of rehash a, a really great podcast that you and Deontay had uh, just about air raid and everything. Um, but let's do five thousand foot view, looking outside the airplane. Um, I, I'm going to contextualize this in looking at like LSU or uh, Mississippi State. For instance, so Mike Leach, the pirate, brings brings a, a very annoying offense to Starkville. And first game of the season, they are very annoying. KJ Costello throws for 600 plus yards, five interceptions, just uh, an all-out frenzy. I don't know which game you're talking about to tell you. <laughs> an all-out frenzy block of that, offense. Block that from my memory. Mississippi State goes on to throw two passing touchdowns over the next six games. <laughs> um, why did the air raid not work for more than one game in the SEC, Seth? So the, the, the specifics is just like LSU and Bo Pelini, I guess, wanted to play. I don't know if they what they wanted to do, you know, when he got hired 
as the LSU defensive coordinator. I don't know what, what the plan was from, from, from when he got hired in like January or whatever to game one and for the season, what they wanted to do on defense. I don't know. But what ended up happening is they really, whether they couldn't get it taught, whether the players didn't understand, I don't know what, like who knows. Um, they only could play man coverage. Now, like it's LSU. They already play a lot. Like but under Dave Aranda, they played a ton of man coverage and they were really good at it. And it's, L- it's LSU. Like they have the players to play man coverage. One of the problems is, you know, a lot of new faces on that roster game one and the area just feasts on man coverage. Cause they're just trying to run away from you across the field. I mean, that's the whole game is they're going to spread you out, but then run away from you across the field. And then they'll get into some, to some, you know, stack. So, you know, receivers lining up next to each other in like two man or three man bunches, two man stacks, three man bunches. And they're going to try and they're going to, they're, they're trying to like pick you and rub you. And so now you're late uh, on your coverage assignment. You know, you're supposed to be covering this one guy. The other receiver comes and hits you in the chest legally, quote unquote, and then the other receiver runs away. The receiver you're supposed to cover runs away from you. So I think that, and they just never got out of it. They just never, they kept playing man. They kept playing man. They kept playing man. So again, the reasons why they did that, I have no idea. Because as, as, as I think anyone who watched Mike Leach's air raid offense at Washington State will tell you, the teams that gave it the most trouble are the teams that, dropped a lot of guys in zone and just said, Hey, we don't care. You, you, you cannot run away from us anymore because we're in zone. And then B all your normal zone beaters. They're all drawn up against seven man zone drops, you know, four pass rushers and seven people in zone coverage, which is like normal. It's how we, we've done it for a hundred years. Uh, Washington, when Washington played Washington State in the Apple Cup, they dropped eight guys. And they said, hey, you don't have any holes to throw the football. And you're going you're gonna to check it down. You're going to check it down. You're going to check it down. And we know you're not going to call enough runs to hurt us when we're playing with only three defensive linemen on the field. So, you know, that was on tape for LSU to see. They decided not to do it. And it cost them. It cost them dearly. I mean, there's no, re- there's no reason for them to lose that football game especially since the offense played relatively well, you know, probably after the first quarter. And then from then on, everyone, I think the next game was like Arkansas. Arkansas dropped eight guys, 90% of the game. And then Kentucky did it. And then this other team did it. And then this other team did it. And then even Alabama did it. And it's like, and, and they couldn't, they had no answers for it. And one of the issues I will say, the offensive line, not very good. Quarterback, clearly not very good. So that doesn't help when you can rush three guys, drop eight in coverage, and you still get some pressure. Obviously that's a problem. Like you, that you're not, you're not going to win a lot of football games. And, and, and is that the scheme? Is that this, is that, that, I don't know, probably a little bit of both. So that, that didn't help. And yeah, that's why they, that's why the air raid, this, this particular air raid had massive. I mean, like, like you said, I mean, the stat you gave up before, I mean, massive problems, hilariously massive issues. And it's just like one of, one of the issues is 
and 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 you know, I won't rehash exactly what we talked about on on my podcast, the, the PFF College Football Podcast. But I think this is an important point. Teams teams have no would I would imagine I don't have the history of Michael Leach's offense in front of me, but I would imagine that teams have tried to drop eight guys a lot on them over the years. One of the things that's changed in in college football defense, and it's going to change in the NFL as well, is where like where the like the deployment of the defensive linemen are. And what happened was back in the day, even if you were probably rushing three, you were giving away one or two B gaps. So that's the gap between the tackle and the guard. That was an open gap, right? So like, as in there wasn't a defensive lineman in that gap. There might've been a linebacker who was responsible for it, but that was not taken by a defensive lineman. So now you, that's kind of how we all think about running the football. You run to the B gap, run to the B gap, run to the B gap, run to the B gap. And then you, you, you hope, you know, you, you try and find different ways to do that. So now what's happened is defenses have shifted. And I don't think it's really in response to, to what we're talking about, you know, in, in response to the era, just response to football in general, more in response to, zone running offenses they've put they've returned to a three four look three four defenses are in vogue right now and there's a nose tackle on in on this on the center and there's two b gap defensive linemen so now you're looking for that b gap it's not there what's open are the two c gaps but what defenses are telling you is like the c gaps are far away you got to run laterally before you can run vertically and if there's a b gap well, you take the ball and you run to the B gap vertically, you're gaining yards instantly. Open C gaps mean you got to run laterally first. And we're okay with that as defense because we're fast now. Because we, we saw the spread the spread era happened 15 years ago, you know, in 2001 or 1998 or whatever with, uh, with Rich Rod and, and Sean King at Tulane or whatever it was. Like we already saw it happen. We, we knew we had to get faster on defense. Like the players had to get faster. So we're not worried about having to chase stuff down that's down near the sideline. Like if you go laterally, we got no problem. We're speedy. We're running four fives. We're running four sixes. We're running four fours in some cases. So like that's no problem. So now going back to the air raid, it's like, okay, we're going to rush three guys. And, you're, and your check is finally to say, okay, I'm not going to throw the ball anymore. You know, Mike Leach is saying, check to our run, check to our run. Well, now the run game is not as deadly because we've accidentally come into a defensive front structure that eliminates what they want to do running the football wise schematically. So that it's just like by accident, teams figured out the air raid, um, the run game, the air raid run game, and they can't even check into runs that they like um, when they get these, these loaded pass coverages. So there, there's right. a lot of stuff that needs to happen now with Mike Leach and, and a few other guys uh, that are running this offense still. Right. Well, and so I wanted to ask about a team and a coach that has really taken a lot of area principles from his background and then become a great running team as well as a passing team. The Bay 12, there's really only one great team and that's Oklahoma right now. Lincoln Riley obviously has adjusted a lot of the air raid principles and made them his own and made them into a really potent running team. So in response to the changes on defense and, and really in his overall philosophy, what is it that Lincoln has done with these principles that allowed him to survive defensive adjustments and, and have a potent offense? So I think the first thing is 
when we talk about air raid, we talk about the death of the air raid. The air raid can't really die, uh, at least not yet, because all of these concepts have just proliferated football at every level. Like everything that Leech and Mummy were doing so many years ago. Can I can I just can I just ask uh, in yeah. in the vein of explain it to an idiot? If someone's having a trouble grasping, like what is the air raid? Yeah, what, okay. a couple. What are those principles? Yeah. So I, I think the the main thing is like in response to when we think about football in the eighties and nineties, right? When when this offense was being hashed out in at wherever they were in like Northern Kentucky, not Northern Kentucky. I think they were in Iowa or something. I think Mike they Rich were in Valdosta. Was it? Was I think, yeah, I think there was a place before Valdosta. Ah, okay. But I'm not sure, but yeah, Valdosta would be, would be a, a, probably a good starting point. So anyways, we're, they're there in the late eighties, nineties. And what do we think about defense? What do we think about football in that time? It's like tight ends and fullbacks. And we're going to run the football. We're going to run the football. We're going to run the football. So defenses are big and slow, right? Because you, you have to be big and slow um, or else you're going to take a pounding. So that's the football that we're talking about right now that leads to, hey, well, wait a minute. Like, let's not just like try and, you know. You know uh, beat each other to death? Yeah, beat each other to death running into walls. Like, let's just not shine like 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 it's the tre- like trench warfare. We don't need that anymore. We can expand horizontally so that we can expand vertically. And that's just like it's it's just makes so much sense for the time that you would start throwing all these bubble screens that is like everyone throws bubble screen. The whole world is throwing. It's like the first thing that I teach, you know, day one install is like, let's throw a bubble off our, you know, inside, whatever. It doesn't matter. But like we throw a bubble. So we get horizontal. Um, So I think like a couple things that are like principles of the air raid, I would say are tempo fast, no huddle. You know, again, teams are not no huddling in the mid nineties. So no huddle. Defenses are defenses at that time want to huddle. They want their Mike linebacker to communicate a play to them. That's that he looks to the sideline and he gets the play from the defensive coordinator. And he verbally tells the rest of the unit what to do. So if you, so tempo means they cannot do that. They got to figure it out a way. So that's the first thing tempo. The second thing I think is the formationally is spread. It's like everything we know about football right now, which is like th- four receivers on the field. Uh, even if a t- even if a tight end is on the field, he's spread out like a receiver in a slot formation or a wide receiver, you know, out wide. That's like the second thing. Just spread. Like there's no more fullback tight end anymore. We're gonna spread everyone out, and we're gonna make the defense play in space. Like like you're not gonna be able to play in a phone booth where even if you make a mistake somewhere on a running play, you know, Hey, we, we, I, I chose the wrong gap or I got blocked. Or I'm late, something like that on a running play. Well, the ball is not that far from me because where everyone is, everyone is in the center of the field. Now we're saying there's less players here around you in, in let's say just the box. So if I'm a linebacker and I make a mistake, I got no friends next to me to cover up. So now, you know, we're, we're busted down the field for a big game. So I think those for me are the probably the, the and, and the third principle is pass rate, which is like, hey, we're gonna throw it, we're gonna throw it every time, right? 
And, uh, you know, the, the, the way Mike, Mike Leach does it and some other guys do it is I either am going to call a pass play and you will only call a run if there's something that we've told you looks like a running a defense to run on. So, like, we're, I'm calling a pass play. And then it's only if you as a quarterback see something different that you're checking to a run. Or I know a lot of stuff that he does is literally he'll just call a formation and not call a play. And his quarterback will have to make the decision there. And it's usually like, you know, you have five, it's five options for them or passes one of them or runs, right? So mm-hmm. those are the three things, pass rate, formation, spread formations, and tempo. So that is the air raid. But, but what, what okay, happens so, is, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was please finish go ahead i was gonna lead into a question but all good well what i was saying so that's great in 1995 it's great in 2000 it's great in 2005 it's great in 2010 but what happens is like i'm talking about is the defense is how they they're not dumb people defensive coordinators they're going to evolve they're going to figure what's going on here so they get they figure out tempo themselves and they say, hey, we can signal something from the sideline and we don't have to huddle up and we don't have to have one guy communicate it to us on the field. We can always we can look to the sideline too and get the play from the quarterback uh, from the defensive coordinator. And we can line up and play fast too. Formationally, and, and you know, we're going to get faster. If you're gonna play with fast guys on the field, we are going to play with fast guys on the field too. Which is, which is like, we talked about this episode hasn't dropped yet. So I'm kind of spoiling out of turn, but like with Vass, uh, coach Vass, we talked a lot about how the four, two, five, they kind of take away the, in the entire, if then flow chart on defense to say like, no, 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 we're just going to wait till you pick something. And then we're going to call a play. And so they're kind of running tempo on defense, which TCU fans are very familiar with, uh, just because of that whole style of we'll let you line up and then we'll call our defense. Yeah. And Vass is, Vass is a good friend of mine. He's also a psychopath and I've never seen him coach before, <laughs> but like the stuff that he's told me and he's told like what are his listeners on his podcast and stuff like that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he said it on your podcast, but he takes it to the extreme where he is waiting till like, man, the offense is about ready to snap the football. And then he's, yeah. he's calling a play as late as pot. Like that's psychopathic behavior. Yeah. Um, Vass, I hope you're listening. You're a psychopath. And I love he, he kind but- of, he kind of apologized to his players <laughs> You know, he's like, in the past, what I've done has just been unfair. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. So, like, the teams have, teams have done really good jobs of, of creating communication plans that work and, and gets them into the right calls and and for and stuff like that. And honestly, like, I don't think it's super detail, but what, what they've done is, I think Saban calls it um, triple calls. So you know, and I don't, I don't get to do this in Canadian football because with 12 people on the field and six eligible receivers, that's too many, too many people on the field to deal with. But in American football with five eligible receivers, there's only so many like formations, right? Mm. Or it, I, I, from a 10,000 10, foot view, there's only so many formations. So they could be like, Hey, against two receivers to each side, this, you know, we call it, we say Bronco and it means we're playing this this coverage and this, this blitz or, or this front or whatever. And then with Bronco too, if they line up in three by one or they motion to three by one with that same one word, we already know what we're doing against three by one. And it could be a complete different call. You know, it could be, well, we're playing cover two against this now. So that's what they've done too. That's like one of the, 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 the ways that teams have, have, have gone about yeah. uh, communicating defense. So, yeah, so defensive just got smaller and faster and we're able to deal with 
oh, you want to go laterally? Your whole game is bubble screens? No problem. Because my, my, my Sam linebacker is not a Sam linebacker anymore. He's a nickelback. He's, right. you know, what Saban calls a star. He's what people, you know, the, the robber, the, the whatever it is. So, like, you want to run? We'll run too. No problem. So that's kind of what's happened. And I think teams have just, you know, we've gotten to the point where teams just seen it so much, dude. Like yeah. high school, like high school football in the States, but spread. And no one, you know, from, from, for like 20 years, no, everyone just wanted to play with four receivers on the field. So kids are seeing that from such a young age that they get to college and it's like, there's no problem. They get to the NFL. It's like, that's no problem. We've seen this before. So, yeah, I think that's kind of what happened to the, to the air raid. And it was a, it's a great offense. It made a whole bunch of sense at the time. And now it's just like, does it make any, as much sense anymore? Now, getting back to your question about Lincoln Riley, because I just remembered where, where, why I started talking in the first place. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Lincoln, so all these concepts, they still exist in football. And, and, and the fourth thing would be like the different types of, of actual pass concepts. So this guy runs a post, this guy runs an out, this guy, you know, all these concepts they put together. Everybody does that stuff. I mean, everybody plays with tempo now. Everybody plays four wide sometimes. Everyone does this sometimes. Everyone does that sometimes. All those concepts remain in football. But, the, but you're, you're putting them all together into the same Mike Leach offense that he's been running for so long – that's that's you know as the one package that's the problem so Lincoln Riley comes in he says you know teams are getting bigger you know, defenses are getting bigger so uh, sorry defenses are getting smaller so we can get a little bit bigger and we you know when you think about uh, Oklahoma over the past few years you're, you you obviously think about the receivers and the quarterbacks and and the tailbacks because you kind of can't live in a, in a in a world in 2020 without good players at those positions but you also have to remember the guys like um, Trey, not, not Trey Flowers. Uh, he's a defensive lineman. Flowers. Trey, uh, uh, yeah. Flowers. Dimitri Flowers. Dimitri Flowers. Dimitri Flowers. Yeah. Dimitri Flowers. Yeah. Fullback, tight end. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yep. yep. The, the Flowers kid. And uh, and I'm thinking about the tight end. So Kakatera and there was other tight ends before him. Mark like Andrews. Dave, was Mark Andrews, of course. Yeah. yeah. So like they've been able to run a lot of the same concepts but play bigger and a couple things that, that that's done by being bigger and having more bodies to protect the quarterback. You can throw the ball deeper down the field because defenses got really good at, at knowing your, your protections and saying, Oh, you, you're going to run this one protection all game because you only have five offensive linemen in the protection. And maybe, maybe sometimes one running back, no problem. We've, we, we watched all the film. We know, we know where your weaknesses are. We'll get a free guy here. Well, A, we're going to get a free guy. And B, we're not going to blitz seven guys. We're going to get a free guy, and we're still only going to blitz four. We're still only going to blitz five. So we got all these guys in coverage, no problem. And we're still getting it at, at your quarterback. So you can't – now you can't – like, how are you going to throw the ball down the field? you got to protect to throw the ball down the field. So you bring more people inside. You bring more bodies. You bring these tight ends. You bring these fullbacks. You protect with six for sure. You protect with seven. Sometimes you protect with eight. Now, how do you win football games? Explosive plays. 
you know, efficiency and explosive plays. So I, I don't know what's first. Uh, I, I, I'd like to say, think it's efficiency. It's probably explosive plays, though. How do you create explosive plays? You run play action, you protect with seven, you throw a post for a damn touchdown. Like, that's how football works now. And that's kind of what Lincoln Riley has, has, has found, has worked re- obviously really well um, for them. And, you know, not, not only do they – obviously, they've had issues on defense, but not only do they – does this work against other big 12 teams? I mean, it's worked whenever they played at a conference and, and in the playoff too. So that, and, and now that that's him. That's, you know, the old Baylor guys when Baylor had their run, that's them too being like, and that's kind of the football that we're seeing now is like, Hey, we're going to bring bigger bodies on the field so that we can protect. We're still going to spread with the, the few, you know, receivers we have on the field, but we're going to spread while also having the ability to run the football with bigger players and protect. So I think that's where football has shifted and where the air raid probably needs to, you know what I mean? Like it's got to get back there, but Mike Leach, who knows if that's ever going to happen. Well, it's kind of the, it's kind of the Rob, uh, it's kind of the Gronkification of football where you just have these guys where it's like, man, you're just a freak. Like you're big and you can run. I mean, Mark Andrews, Grant, Grant, honestly, this is a side note and I'm already pumping this so I can be first on the record with this. Like Grant Calcaterra at SMU with Tanner Mordecai, he's going to be a monster this year. That's going to be unfair to the AAC. Um, And so it's these kind of things where it's like, hey, I can run the same concepts I want. I mean, Lincoln Riley with Leak is like, that's nothing, that's nothing new. It's just, they're able to do it so well. One, because they have a huge talent advantage, but two, they just understand like, hey, everybody else is still a little bit behind us. And what's so perverse about Oklahoma there is with Grinch now on the defensive side, they know all this too. And big 12 teams are slow to adjust and they're rushing three and stunting and getting to the quarterback. It's like Nick Benito is an, is a great rusher. He is not a get to the quarterback when you're rushing three every single time kind of guy, but they're still getting him there. It's just, um, it's amazing how good of a grasp Lincoln Riley has kind of on the, on the air raid, um, and, and on the counter air raid, if you will, like the, not, not only counter in your run system, but kind of the, Hey, here's the counter punch to how you defend it. Um, I'll say, well, you talk about counter cause that's, that's their big running play is, yeah. is the counter. Um, usually the guard and the tackle pulling around. Well, I, you know, I talked about earlier how this new three, four defensive front, the tight front was was kind of developed and like evolved into being the front of front du jour in college football it's because everyone was running inside zone and outside zone because that was that was spread football baby inside zone yeah we watched Sunday Cumbie yeah we know you know you watch uh man I'm trying to think I go back to Rich Rod at West Virginia and stuff like that and and all those teams anyways the tight front, and we don't have to get into it, but the tight front does a really good job of defeating zone blocking because of the way that teams can't double team everybody. But what, but what, what it does do is give you some angles for, for hard nose. Hey, we're not going to zone you. We're going to block back. We're going to mash you backwards to create a hole uh, for two big men to come around to the front side. And so he's brought that. So Lincoln Raleigh has brought that play back into fashion because it's just a perfect changeup for, for the fronts that they're facing. And Mike Leach and some of those guys, Graham Harrell and, and, and uh, you know, some of the guys have not, have not done that. 
so now does it help to have you know more bigger bodies yeah um to run those type of plays for sure but there probably are ways for them to to get to get into those um those type of runs i would think if you're like mississippi state mm-hmm. you know and it's funny because i said earlier you know oklahoma is the only consistently great offense in the big 12 but there are a lot of middling to good offenses that do different things look at iowa state um I wouldn't say Kansas State's a good offense, but they can be exciting sometimes. But I, I guess my bigger question, question, Seth, is among teams that even may run various different schemes, and we can keep this Big 12-centric, what's like the one common thread that a good offense always has? Is it just straight up, hey, I have a really good quarterback? Or, you know, it, it's one metric, one stat, one common pattern that separates them from the rest? I think, in yeah, it's – that's a good question. I mean, you, the, and I'm the, sorry the to screen that on is, you because that's a very specific question. I yeah. Well, I mean, the obvious answer is, like you said, it's quarterback. Like you just, if you have a guy who can, it's like the hardest thing in sports to do, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe hitting a fastball in the major league baseball, but so this is second. But like, like, like consistently, consistently, and that's a key word in this: make the right decisions when throwing the football, and plus throw that football accurately. Like that, that is like the most unbelievably hard thing to do. And so I think that if you have the guy who can do that, if you have Joe Burrow, there's no problems. Right. And if you don't, then you obviously have to find ways to keep the defense uh, off guard. And honestly, if I, if I knew these answers in a, in a, in a context of, of, you know, what's football going to look like in 2021, then I would be coaching somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have those answers because that's those are the tough questions. Like, what is next? Like, how are we keeping defenses honest? Um, like I said, I know a lot of teams are running. The offense kind of in, that's in vogue right now is the, you know, I talked about the, the, the Baylor offense. So everyone's running that thing that, 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 they, that they developed in, like, you know, in the late 2000s. Uh, all the quarterbacks who are going to be drafted next year, you know, like eight out of the 10 are probably coming from that offense Liberty and, you know, he fused at Liberty and Lane Kiffin doing that stuff now at, um, at uh, Ole Miss and, you know, Heupel at, at Tennessee now and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Arkansas. Um, yeah. Arkansas. Arkansas. hundred percent. Yeah. So like what they're doing is they are saying, we're not even having a quarterback really read, that difficult concepts we are going to run straight vertical routes and we're going to read the receiver is going to read them as he's running down the field so if you can break off to the post to the middle of the field he's going to do it if not he stays down to the sideline if the if the defender is giving him so much space down the field he'll just stop at like 12 yards at 10 yards and he'll catch the ball on a hitch or whatever uh you know if there's if it's a blitz he'll run a slant you know, just replacing is wherever the defense is and we're going to run to with like one receiver. And that's really what it is. Like, it's a lot of just like one receiver is live. The other receivers might be running patterns, but they're, they're dead. They're not really, they're not really part of the progression. And furthermore, sometimes they don't even give the receivers routes. Like you saw with Baylor all those years and you see it. Heupel is the king of that right now. Like he, you, you can see even UCF now is doing it and, and Baylor in like 2013, their receivers who have hands on their hips at the start of the line. There's like, they're not involved. This isn't, they're not, yeah, they're not. We are right taking now. this playoff. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's, that's where football is kind of headed. 
We're going to be, and these guys are lined up like, so the receivers, like I said, it's not that there's necessarily four receivers in the formation now. You're going to have tight ends and fullbacks. So you have going to have less, you know, wide receivers, those type of bodies. But there are, they are lining up as spreadly as possible. They're almost touching the sideline because, again, they're saying, we don't want our quarterback to have to deal with anything over the middle of the field because that is so hard on a young quarterback to throw with touch, to throw with anticipation, to read defenders and say, okay, the safety moved this way, but the linebacker didn't, so I got to work away from him and do all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. Like that is so hard. So what we're going to do is we're going to throw down the damn sideline every play. And we're not looking for a high completion percentage. This isn't the West Coast offense. This isn't Drew Brees running it. We are looking for explosive plays. And if we hit one out of three, you know, go routes down the sideline, that's 50 yards. You know what I mean? That's one completion for – that's – you know what I mean? Like, that's fine. We're okay with that because that's our explosive play. We don't, we don't feel like we're going to get 50 yards on three plays throwing freaking shallow cross and mesh anymore and anything like that. Like we're, we're in a slant flat and all this, all these like West coast stuff, like spacing, like that's not, we're not going to do that anymore. We know we can get there on one bomb. And that is how that's football now, man. We're going to protect, like I was saying, we're going to have big bodies that could protect. So we don't give a fuck. We don't give a fuck. If you bring nine guys, we can protect with as many as we have on, on our roster. And all we're doing is going to throw a one-on-one deep ball. And like I said, if it happens once at every three times, they're happy. Once every four times, they're happy. So yeah, I think that's, that's football in 2021. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Arkansas State's yeah. another team is doing it. Though I get he's he's gone to um the head coach to Utah State. I guess. Yeah, Blake so, Anderson's at Utah State now. And- yeah, so like they're like this is football, man. It ain't pretty. <laughs> I mean, it's explosive, which is fun. But it ain't, it ain't intricate. It, but it, it gets does, the job done. It does feel like it has this inherent reckless quality. Like, well, no, it feels but, like well, coaches see, are less able to be like, oh, I'm going to be surgical. And more like, hey man, we're just gonna get this boy hot, and we're gonna let it ride and see what happens. Yeah, but here's here's the thing: like, we 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 conflict. So when you talk about surgical, right? We're talking about like breeze, right? Like that's that's surgical yeah. football. It's Tom Brady um, with the Patriots, okay? Not Tom Brady with the Bucks. It's different. That's a different ball game. It's way more so fun, like, but it's different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like exactly right. So it's like that, but that that surgicality. I don't think that's a word. That surgicality. It's close. It sounds yeah, good. It's close. It sounds good. It's not real. It's like you, the quarterbacks cannot do that. I, I, it's so fucking hard to do that. So in a sense, that's the risky thing. Like treating your quarterback, like doing the Joe Burrow thing where you're reading the middle of the field so much. And that's where all the, your routes are going. That's freaking hard, man. I'll give, a great example. Great example. Past two seasons. We have Joe Burrow in 2019. We have Zach Wilson in 2020. Uh, thank you for allowing me this platform. I'm going off right now. Please, please, <laughs> so, uh, please go off. So, like, we have, two, we have these two quarterbacks, right? Um, number one pick in the draft, number two pick in the draft. Running the same play. Okay, LSU ran what some people call 989. Some people call doubles. Um, some people call middle read. Bring that way down for our audience. Yes, it's coming. We're, it's coming. we're, we're it's more coming. fans, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. 
Uh, LSU is doing that 2019. A lot of teams do this. LSU is doing that big time in 2019. BYU doing it in 2020. So what that play is, you're going to have three receivers running routes. It's seven-man protection, like, I'm t- like I've been telling you guys. We're going to protect with as many bodies as we can. The slot receiver is going to run what's called a middle read. He's going to run straight. You know, he's in the slot, wherever. It doesn't matter what side. He's going to run straight, and he's going to read the safeties. If the safeties are, if there's two safeties, he's going to run between them. So it's going to be like a post. If there's one safety, he can't run between them because there's only one guy. He's running the middle of the field. He's going to stop. He's going to cut across the field on like a on a 90 degree cut. Okay, like an in breaking route. That's the read. That's the middle read. The two receivers on the outside, because we're seven-man protection, means we have two outside receivers and only one slot. They're going to run you, like a vertical route, down the, staying down the sideline. Um, and it could be any route that you choose to tag on the play. So usually it's a, it's a nine route, it's a go route, but it could be a comeback route, it could be an out route, it could be anything that stays keeps them towards the sideline. So the quarterback is saying, his first read is saying, that slot receiver. We're going to read it. Me and him are going to be on the same page. I'm going to know where he's going to make his cut, when he's going to make his cut. And I'm going to throw the ball over the middle of the field if he's open. And if not, now I have a kind of no read vertical route on the outside. So, I mean, you think about LSU in 2019, you think about Justin Jefferson over the middle of the field, catching these balls. And you think about Jamar Chase on the outside on the same play, Oh, Jeff Jefferson's not there in the middle of the field. Let me look to the sideline. Let me throw a jump ball to the player who's about to be picked, you know, fifth overall in the draft a year later. Like, let, let they make it as simple as possible. The difference in, in between – so BYU and LSU ran the same play. Big difference. LSU and Burrow would take these shots over the middle of the field when Jefferson was open. If he's open, I'm going to throw it to him because I have touch, I have accuracy, I have everything. I'm not a coward. BYU running the same play. Zach Wilson just would not throw this route over the middle of the field. Did it matter? No. Did they score a bunch, an insane amount of points last year at BYU? Yeah. Because you said, I don't don't care about this middle route. I don't feel comfortable throwing it around coverages, around defenders over the middle of the field where all the sharks are. I'm going to say, screw it. I'm going to throw outside, outside the numbers, one-on-one. My big-time receivers are going to make a play against these G5 cornerbacks, and we're going to roll. So, like, that's where it's like, yeah, if you have Joe Burrow, call all these routes over the middle of the field. Call, And that's not the only route that LSU ran over the middle of the field. They ran a ton of stuff like that. No problem, dude. Like, just, just we can do that because you're Joe Burrow. I don't know if you guys know this. Most college football quarterbacks are not Joe Burrow. They, they haven't yeah. been in the past and they have they won't be in the future. I'm, I'm going to have to empirically verify that. We're going to flag that as, <laughs> as uncertain. <laughs> yeah, so. we can't we can't confirm. But Seth, I, I wanted to ask yeah. you something on that, too. Just kind of make a point, because you, you mentioned kind of when you're talking about the evolution of football offenses. It was very dumb caveman in the late 80, 1980s or whatever. Hey, get your tight end, get your fullback, pound it. Mm-hmm. The way you described how modern offenses are moving, where it's, hey, we're just going to take deep shots and hope for the best. Yeah. To me, it seems almost kind of dumb and caveman as well, just yeah. in a way that's more fun. And yeah. it's just weird that that circle's come back around. We are going to dumb it down as much as possible. And, you know, we're going to foolproof, we're going to quarterback proof our offenses in a different way than, you know, what we used to talk about how when Alabama was winning the first set of national championships um, under, under Saban. 
you talk about, oh, you know, Edgy McCarron and, and, and all those guys, like, well, we're the, you know, they can put anyone in that, in that offense and, and it'll, and it'll roll. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, that it's a different, and we always talk about, oh, that it's a quarterback proof offense. And LSU tried to do the same thing for years. Um, didn't work as well, but um, it worked pretty well though. Um, so like you're trying to foolproof that offense by taking the ball out of his hand and saying, we run the football, run the football. You only have to throw it on third down, blah, blah, blah. Now we're, we're foolproofing it, but we are because the, the evolution of the quarterback position has been so great over the past 20 years where kids in high school are getting reps and reps and reps and reps throwing the football. They're throwing it in season. They're throwing it out of season on seven and seven. They're going to work with their private quarterback coaches. So like, you know, I always say the thing, you know, everyone talks about all these private quarterback coaches and should, you know, should should the guy work with his, with his, his coaches on his team? Should he have a private guy? It's like, honestly, go get reps. Like the reps are important. Like go throw the ball with whoever, whenever, even if it's not a great coach who cares, just go throw the ball. Um, and that's what these kids are doing right now. So they're getting to college and the level of quarterback play in the past 10 years even has skyrocketed. So you're, the, the offenses are foolproof for quarterbacks, but in a way that they're still throwing the ball a lot more. Right. And it's not, I'm not saying like every throw is outside the numbers throw, um, right. You know, there are, so, you have to run other concepts, but for the most part, the base of the offense is these, these nine ball throws on the outside. Which I think speaks to the air raid stuff. So like air, air, air raid also is like golden rep or the magic rep. It's like, you got to do the play enough and you figure it out. And a lot of that was, Hey, these kids hadn't seen it. They come to college. They have to do the golden rep to figure it out. A lot of those kids are already there in high school. And so coming in, we can, we can then start to work in some funky stuff kind of on the top of that as well and work in these, these new concepts because we're not having to say, Hey, get to the minimum standard of competency. That's already happening in, in high school for most of these kids. Um, okay. I've heard you talk about quarterbacks for uh, like the last 15 minutes. And I love that. So I'm going to ask, who are you excited about at quarterback in 2021? Uh, uh, let's, let's say, let's say non big 12 first, then we'll drill in, drill into the big 12. Okay. Well, I was going to make sure cause I, just want to make sure my check is on the way for who I'm going to say. You're going to, you're sending me the yeah. check, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Get, get the, get so the, the quarterback that I love the most go, going into the 20, 2021 season is TCU's Max Duggan. Okay. No, 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 no. Yes. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> no, we're doing that again. Damn it. Don't, don't you steal my bet. Uh, um, that was okay, awesome. Quarter- I might leave some of that in. Um, okay. We'll do, we'll do that. Let's go from, go from whatever. Um, I like, I like um, who like who doesn't. So I think it's a weird like it, it's it's always interesting to think about quarterbacks in two different frameworks because it's like do we think about them as prospects always or do can we just think about them as college football quarterbacks? Um, that's something that I try to that I wrestle with because the company that I work for, you know, our goal is to give give information as them for them as prospects. Right. We're not we're not really looking at them as college football players, um, but I wrestle with that because I'm a college football guy. Right. So like try and try and do that. Um, but the first guy that I'm interested in is, is you, you know, I wrote a piece on this on PFF.com is, is Spencer Rattler. I mean, that's no not saying anything crazy here. Yeah. Uh, I called him the first ever Zoomer quarterback. Um, I don't understand why, but he looks like a guy who lives on TikTok. Um, he's super fun. 
He makes all these plays outside the pocket. Obviously, needs to get better. His footwork needs to get footwork needs to get better in the in the pocket. But besides that, he's legit. Uh, he's he's legit. Just a baller playing quarterback. Um, I like Malik Willis out of Liberty. I think he's got a lot to do throwing the football. I don't think. I mean, he has a cannon of an arm. But I think the 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 reads and the anticipation needs to needs to happen a tick faster. But <laughs> You ever seen this guy play football? Like you fall in love mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Is wild uh, watching I, him I also, run around. I also think people entirely underrate the fact that, like, whatever uh, we'll say, extracurriculars aside, Hugh Freeze is like a very good college football coach. And I thought it was not not funny. I wasn't rooting for this, but like the first coach who had more than a week to prepare for Coastal Carolina, who knew what they were doing, was Hugh Freeze, and they won that game, being arguably like even on talent. And, and like, man, like, like Willis has an opportunity to really, really succeed there. I think um, just because he's in an environment that is, you know, kind of associated with G5 and, and lower level, but he's, he's with a guy who is, who has competed at a high level in, in, in P5, you know, Saban world. Yeah. And he's a P5 quarterback, right? Yeah. Like th- yeah. he should be the starting quarterback at Auburn. That's what it, that's what it should be. Um, which leads to my number three favorite quarterback. If you say Bo Nix, Auburn's Bo Nix. No, honestly, I don't want to. I, I I don't like talking <laughs> talking trash about Bo Nix. He p- got put into an interesting situation, not a great situation. The end of the Malzahn era, though. Malzahn probably made it quicker on the end by yeah. playing Bo Nix. But um, the the point is, it's not a great situation. He's he's doing his best. So uh, uh, yeah, he's not my number three. Number three, uh, who who else is there? Uh, I think oh, interesting ones is Dylan Gabriel at UCF. Now I don't know about him as a as an NFL prospect, but him now playing under Gus Malzahn when he went from the fakest offense out there, like like the, the offense that I've just told you guys about, the one who does what I'm talking about to the most extreme is Josh Heupel at UCF and now at Tennessee. So he went from the most fake offense where he did not have to make a read. He didn't have to know anything about, about you know, defense and stuff like that to, to a Malzahn offense that probably asked a little bit more, not a ton more, but a little bit more of the quarterback. So I'm very interested to see how he evolves having to play in this type of offense um, as, as a draft eligible player um, this year. So he, he's another guy, you know, off the top of my head. I'm, I'm obviously, as an LSU fan, interested to see Miles Brennan. Thought he thought it looked good, you know, before getting injured. You know, wasn't against the greatest defenses. You know, he tore up Mississippi State. Mississippi State ended up being, having an all right defense. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt and, and Missouri, not the greatest defenses before getting injured. But he did look good in those games. So that's saying something. Um yeah, I can't, I can't let you say Missouri without bringing up the fact that Sean Robinson is going to start at defensive back for the Missouri Tigers, Tigers this fall, which is the most bizarre world thing in the like that I can imagine. If you told me in 2018 that Sean Robinson would transfer, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. If you told me he would transfer and start an SEC school as a defensive back, I would say <laughs> that that school has problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is also the part where I get, I get to take pot shots at Texas A&M. You mentioned Vanderbilt not being a good defense. Uh, that game was 14 to 12. So this is not my favorite part of uh, any podcast. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was a very not fun game to watch. That was not I, very fun. I watched I, it with a bunch of Aggies. It was extremely fun. <laughs> I, I disagree. I, could, I, I would love to do that. I, I got to go watch more Aggies games. Big. I got to watch more like big-time Aggies games with Aggies fans because they will inevitably – 
lose. Um, so yeah, and then uh, man, who else do we have? Missouri, no, Basilak is all right. Um, He's fine. Yeah, I mean, what, Keaton what about Slovis like Keaton Slovis? Okay, that, that's what I was going to ask go. about because like Keaton Slovis has been the preseason hype king, and you feel like the guy has the raw talents. Is it Clay Helton? Is it him? What's going on there? Well, he's super accurate. Um, certainly understands. Made a few read mistakes this year that he didn't make as much in in 2019, and I kind of expect him to get back to you know the Pac-12 was such a shit show this year. Like who knows who was real and fake um, in, in that conference. So I expect him to get a little bit – he won't make as many mistakes in that, in that sense. The problem – and he was coached by Kurt Warner in high school. So, like, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. The problem is you wonder if he's too – he's too, like, Kyle Trasky in that super accurate, makes the right decisions. Um, at least for Trask in 2020, he made the right decisions, not really in 2019. Makes the right decisions – the ball just floats, man. And it's like, it's like you can't, you can you get the ball like to the receiver. Yeah. You know where to place it, but it's kind of coming in, coming in a, like an EFIS pitch rather than a fastball. Like it's a problem. Uh, so that would be my concern with him. It's just the arm strength. And then the next thing is it's exactly what we're talking about at USC. They are seeing eight men dropping coverage every can play. Mm-hmm. And that's just tough, man. It's tough on a young kid to have to deal with that because his offense coordinator won't run the football as much to create just, and it's not to create loaded boxes. It's just to create a four man rush. Yeah. Um, you, it works great the in, the, four- in the CUSA with Mason fine. Like, yeah, that, that works yes. out really, really nicely there. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. That's another one of these offenses, North Texas, they're running this yeah. fake stuff. Like you watched, you know, everyone watched Jalen Darden because he was coming out of, um, and um, I must have got picked somewhere. I don't even remember anymore. But, yo, he ran like four routes. He's, he's electric. Don't get me wrong. He's a really good receiver. But they don't ask him to do anything. And they don't ask the quarterback too much either. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, you know, Texas is another great example of the offense that I'm talking about that is just proliferating college football. So, yeah, those guys. And then you have Sam Howell. Another, you know, Phil Longo is – is an air raid guy and they run some air raid stuff, but they also are just, Hey, we're going to run the next thing that I didn't even mention RPOs. That makes it easier on the quarterback too. Hey, we're going to run a ton of RPOs in North Carolina is always the past two years have been the top five in in RPO percentage. We're going to run RPOs. We're going to make it easier on the quarterback. And then we're going to run outside and we're going to throw the ball outside, you know? So yeah, all those quarterbacks. And and I like Howell. I like him. However, we don't know anything about these kids. The only the only yeah. guy we, we kind of we can kind of understand is is Rattler because we've seen quarterbacks in that system already now play in the NFL for a bunch of years. So I think that besides him, it's like again Howell and Willis and Matt Corral and all these guys are all playing in this quote unquote fake offense that uh, is giving them a lot of production without a lot of uh, mental strain. I would say. Okay, but Matt Corral is going to be fun as hell next year, whether he's good oh, and God, next yeah. level or not. Um, okay, how was one I was going to ask about? Let me let me get oh please let me, address let that. Let me get yeah, on yeah. my on my um, Lane Kiffin soapbox. Big fan of Lane Kiffin. What he does really well is so he because he's now has Jeff Lebby on his staff, his offensive coordinator, who is like brother. Anyways, he's part of the Baylor tree in some way, in some some fashion. 
So he's brought this offense into something that he wasn't really doing before. Like if you watch the Jalen Hurts offense when he was at Alabama, it's very different than what he's doing with Matt Corral and Ole Miss and what he did at, at uh, with like Jeff Driscoll at Florida Atlantic, like very different. But what he's so good at is, hey, we have this base package where we're going to do exactly what I said and throw the ball outside. But he's so good at timing up when he calls his, his change-ups, when he calls his, you know, not necessarily like trick plays, but his counters. Not, not counter like the run scheme that we talked about, but his counters, right? Like, hey, you, you've seen this for five plays in a row. Here's something that looks exactly like it, except it's not, and the receiver's wide open down the field. Like, that's, that's Lane Kiffin in a, in a nutshell. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my Lane Kiffin spiel. Which is why the Lane, Cl- Lane Kiffin clipboard is like a meme because like he has a pulse on, I know exactly when this is going to be open and he, he exactly calls it. a shot and he's got it. Yeah. Um, okay. How was, I was just going to plug a stat that I kind of like, uh, PFF tracks the like 20 plus yard completions or whatever. And how I think I, I, I didn't look this up. This is off the top of my head. Uh, how was like next level on that last yeah. year? So how I, I I think he was first overall, and and maybe he was historically really great. H- how much stock do you put in that in one season? Of like, hey, he you know he had the most twenty plus completions of of anybody. Well, I mean, so when I watch him, I do like the touch, and he has a strong arm, and he has great touch on those deep balls. So I'm certainly into it. But again, it goes back to. Are those deep balls one-on-ones? Is there a safety that can make a play on it? You know what I mean? Like, are, are we doing that? There was a play. Like he, he got better as the season went on. I think they I think they tried to make him a real quarterback early in the season. I mean, and it, was, nah, it wasn't good. You know, the Syracuse game wasn't great. The Boston College game wasn't great. And then I think midway through, and, and you know, you talk about how you had a, my boy, Anthony Cheshon, last year. He's the one who brought it up to me. He was like, yo, they're not throwing the ball down the field anymore. And then they're like, hey, let's get back to what we were doing in 2019. And then he just lights out um, throwing those deep balls the second half of the season, or at least after like week four or whatever, or game four. But again, so he, he's accurate. He'll hit those deep balls. And like I said, great touch, great arm strength. Um, are, these, are, they, are they dangerous throws? They're not. Yeah. They're not dangerous throws. They're they're. It is what it is. Like the like the, the offense is creating easier opportunities. I, I I go back to the same thing. It's like I said this. I don't remember where I said it. Or I read an I wrote an article actually. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, like I talked about at UCF, he only threw four interceptions, even though they threw the ball as much as anyone in the in the country last year, right? I mean, they played it at like ten games or twelve mm-hmm. games or whatever, and they threw the ball. They were super high um, pass rate, and they threw the ball all the time. Only four interceptions. That's Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Well, how many throws had the chance of being intercepted? You know, how many throws were there where you had to make a read and you had to throw it around? Like Kellen Mond had to do it at, with Jimbo Fisher, who does not run a fake offense, who runs a real ass difficult to run offense to the detriment of his own team, in my opinion. But um, so it's like, it's like how many of these throws had any chance of being intercepted and that's why you only have a four interceptions, even though you threw the ball, uh, you know, so many times. So anyways, that's, yeah. yeah. We're definitely going to call this episode fake ass offenses. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt about it. Also as a Carolina fan, I'm growing up. I'm very happy to hear that about Sam Howell, even if he is running a fake offense. Uh, okay. Let's zoom in a little bit from the national picture, go to the big 12. Let's, you talk a lot about Spencer Rattler and I agree. I think he's head and shoulders by the rest of the conference. Let's leave TCU out of it for a minute. 
what are other quarterbacks, other teams, other offenses in the Big 12 that you think have a chance to be really exciting this year? I know obviously Sark and Texas probably gets the big, you know, national headlines, but, but, but what are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, I, I, so it's, it's rough. I think there's guys who we think could break out. Irritable, yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought Jared Dagey was going to break out last year at West Virginia. It didn't happen. I wanted to believe so badly. <laughs> uh, so maybe, maybe this is the year for him. Texas Tech, I mean, look, look like I thought Tyler Shuck was going to break out last year at Oregon. And it ain't happened. So maybe this is the year he breaks out. You know, people had him. People, I know I saw one like early 2022 mock draft that had Tyler Shuck as the number top five quarterback. No, sorry, not top, no, sorry, not top five quarterback, top five pick in the draft. So like, no. I mean, that's not going to happen. But like, you know, like some people have high hopes. You said Texas, um, Oklahoma State, like let's let, let's go, Spencer. Like, let's go. Like, we got to see something now. Um, you can run around. You can make a throw every once in a while. But let's see it consistently. And I've talked about consistency before. Like, can you do this consistently? And then, and then Brock Purdy, like, are you the guy we saw – three years ago like is that you or are you the guy who's kind of been all right and kind of needs a run game and kind of needs all that um uh to 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 live it to live um so that that would that's my kind of take on the big 12 um and then and then yeah and then tcu are you gonna get Which? another year I'll, I'll just jump ahead sorry are you gonna get another year of progression from max duggan like you got from 2019 to 2020 are you going to get the same? Cause you need it. You need that same, you know, whatever, if it's 20%, you need that same 20% or more, obviously in 2021 to take them over the top. Are you going to get that? I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not ready to say anything yet. Well, and this, uh, I will prompt you with something to say, which is <laughs> Seth, I know that you, uh, <laughs> you know, he still has a lot of room left to grow and I, and I agree, but uh, is there, is there one thing Seth that you can say something nice about Max Duggan? Oh, okay. So the progression from first year to second year, this kid was could not play. It's like, sorry, he could not play. He he should not have. He yeah, should he not sh- have. have. True yeah. freshman should not have been thrown in there, and it showed up. Like it it wasn't very good. And I mean, he looked like a quarterback in 2020, and that is just I didn't think it was going to happen, and it did. Um, one of the things that I when I watched the tape for him. You notice, and this is super important, throws between 10 and 20 yards down the field, which were, I mean, like he just was bad in 2019. He did it. He was completing passes in that range. So, okay, we can can live here. You know what I mean? It's not perfect yet in terms of the passing ability. It's it's not perfect. He's he's late sometimes, um, especially over the middle of the field. But the fact that there was progression, because some kids, that, that doesn't happen. We want to believe that kids just get better each year and stuff. But that, is, those, that doesn't always happen, especially at the quarterback position. So I'm excited for him that he made that leap, that huge leap um, from a true freshman to a true, so- true sophomore. It has to happen again. But, but uh, I'd be excited. I'd be really excited. And then, of course, like his legs are top notch. He can move. He can make people miss. You can use him in all sorts of quarterback run schemes. 
So if that, that gives you a floor, which is important. And again, if the, if the accuracy improves, if the decision-making improves again, like it did um, last off season, it, look, I don't want to say TCU is going to win the big 12, but if the, if, if he improves by another 20%, they'll be in the mix. Let it happen. Parker, cut it. TCU is going to win the big 12. <laughs> you can manipulate that audio. Cut it. Perfect. I, I will say uh, it is important to know that Max Duggan had a life-threatening heart condition uh, in the summer of last year. Um, and so I, I, I totally agree. Like we're getting to see his development in, in yeah. my mind, in this podcast, mind, 2021 is Max Duggan's first real year of starting. Um, and so we're, we're very pro Duggan here. Um, I will say there was a hilarious tweet and I'll have to dig it up for you from, I think it was from the PFF college account that said quarterbacks who have generated the most value with their legs in 2019. And it was number one, Trevor Lawrence and number two, Max Duggan, because TC's offense in 2019 was, Hey, it's third and long Max Duggan run for your life. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but, that, but that's what, that's the nice thing about Duggan is like, like I said, he, he can do that, that floor. And he he is a legit runner. He yeah. is really good. So yeah, I like that about him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, Tim, Tim Beck from Pitt state, not the old Texas coach, Tim Beck, who's at NC state now, uh, uh, D2 national champion, Tim Beck, uh, is officially on staff and him and Jerry kill are, it's not going to be the most exciting offense, but you can see a world where they're running, you know, jet sweep power read and Duggan is, um, uniquely suited to, to kind of, uh, thrive there. Um, Okay, uh, Seth, it, it is officially the offseason, and so I am going to ask uh, a question that we ask most guests. We haven't asked anyone heretofore this offseason, be the first one. Who are your four playoff teams uh, for 2021? LSU, LSU, LSU. Okay, no, LSU. but seriously, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote an article for Football Outsiders a couple weeks ago about returning talent index and kind of looking at who improved. LSU is going to stunt. They're going to surprise some people this year, just given, you know, they had opt out, opt outs and kind of a mess last year. So, so I think LSU is not a terrible pick. Yeah. I mean, I, I have high hopes for them. I think that there's a lot of stuff going on off the field in Baton Rouge, which hope, well, yeah. you know, that's, that's like irrelevant to the football. Well, it's, per, it's pertinent to the football team, but like who knows how that will affect the team and it could, it could derail them again for another season. Uh, but obviously, as a just a fan of the football team, I hope that they that they win some games. Um, yeah, who's my you know hard to hard to pick against Oklahoma. I mean, it's it's like you know it's one of those things where it's like, who else am I gonna pick, man? I didn't even mention him, but like DJ from Clemson. Like, you ever seen this guy, man? He's, this guy is a monster. His like, high school tape is they're real not, fun. They're not gonna miss a beat. You know, they're getting Justin Ross back. Like, they're not going to miss a beat. So, yeah, it's – I'm going to say Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, and Bama. And, like, that's probably what's going to happen. Like, the sorry, that's probably yeah. what's going to happen, which kind of sucks, um, which is why we need a college for an expansion of the playoff, just to see more teams get in and have a chance. Even if they're going to lose in the first round, I don't care. I just want to see games that have importance – in, in a playoff scenario between teams that we don't get to see very often play in these games. And so yeah, have I mean, teams have an opportunity to play into a national championship after a season that was deserving of that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think, um, you know, Wisconsin could be very interesting. I'm thinking of teams off the radar. Wisconsin could be interesting. Um, Gray Mertz had a great first game against Illinois. Illinois turned out to be, 
not good at all. <laughs> um, and then he wasn't very good after. And now it came out that he had a shoulder injury. So maybe he, he is that good. You know, he wasn't, he was the, you know, the highest rated quarterback they've ever recruited there. So, you know, especially with, we don't know what's going on in Michigan, Ohio State's going to start a new quarterback, you know, freshman um, most likely. So like could be a down year for Ohio State. Probably not to tell you the truth, but you know, if you're, if you're thinking kind of outside the box, Grain Mertz would be a good pick to get Wisconsin to uh, to the playoff from the Big from the Big Ten. North Carolina, like we talked about with Sam Howell, 100%. They've been on the upswing. You know, losing all those talented um, skill players is tough. You know, four very talented skill players. Now, if the offensive line improves because it wasn't very good last year then, okay, we can offset the loss and we can find some skilled players because they've been recruiting pretty well. So, yeah, North Carolina is an interesting team. Washington is an interesting team. They didn't play a bunch of games, but I like some of the stuff their quarterback did, Dylan Morris. So that would be kind of a dark horse to get out of the Pac-12, obviously. Um, Oregon's going to have a new quarterback. Could be Anthony Brown. Could be the freshman kid. So, like, you know, Anthony Brown wasn't very good at Boston College, but maybe he's matured. Maybe he'll figure it out. And they obviously have a lot of talent there. Um, you know, Kevin Thibodeau is probably going to be the top three pick in the draft. So, yeah, those are some of the teams that off the top of my head I think are, are super interesting to look at um, going into next year. Obviously, Georgia didn't make the playoffs, um, even though they've been a playoff team in the past, obviously. But we saw some – encouraging things out of the quarterback position that we hadn't seen at Georgia in a while. Uh, so that could be, that could be something to look at too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think I can't tell if it's just like the normalcy of a full off season. And so I'm overcompensating, but like, I feel like there's more intrigue heading into 2021 than there has been in a while, even if the playoff does feel kind of deterministic and, you know, it feels like those same four teams. So um, Seth, this has been enlightening. This has been so fun. Uh, Tell the people where they can find you and, and, and follow your work, plug, plug your stuff here. And we'll get some of that in the show notes too. Uh, PFF underscore Seth at Seth Galina on Twitter. And then you can find my stuff at PFF.com and the PFF college football podcast, wherever you find, wherever you listen to your podcast. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, great. Well, this has been uh, another episode of the purple theory podcast. I'm uh, at stats war on Twitter and uh, that's Grant McGalliard spelled with like it sounds with all those vowels. And uh, we will talk to all you next week. Yeah,